Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we play a game of Would You Rather? From the practical to the absurd, stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Good to see you, bud. Good to see you. This is going to be like an old days recording. We're going to have to self-edit this. We are recording the day, basically the day this goes up. It's Tuesday, July 11th. We haven't done this in a long time on such a tight timeline. I'm not even sure I remember how to do this. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a learning process again. We have not been editing our podcast by ourselves. The early days of the podcast, we edited all of those episodes. That's a special place uh, for people that can listen to their own voice back and then try and correct mistakes before they go live on the air. That is a humbling experience to listen to how bad at talking you are out loud. I don't wish it on anybody. We've had an editor for the last probably close to a year now, and it's been wonderful. But last week, I got sick. I lost my voice entirely. It still sounds scratchy in my head, but at least... I can speak in like a normal tone, I think. Yeah, you were sounding pretty rough last week. Uh, so we decided to bump recording and are doing a last minute episode um, for for our editor. I guess we'll edit ourselves, but yeah, we're on a tight turnaround. We, we are on a very tight turnaround. We were at the point that we were going to do a rerun episode. I'm sure that's going to happen in the future. But since we didn't have to use it this week, we won't. We appreciate being able to record for you all. So this is like the olden days of Check Your Balances. And just like the olden days, we've done very little prep for recording, even though we had some bonus days. We did, but you know what? Last week was weird. July 4th fell on a Tuesday, which meant Monday was like a work day. And I did work on Monday, and then the 4th was off, and then I ended up losing the the back half of the week, just productivity-wise. It, it ended up being a very strange week. It feels like a lost week for me. Speaking of last week, happy belated, buddy. It was also your birthday. Thank you. Yep. One one more trip around the sun. All right. So let's get into it today. This is going to be a little loose. This is old days to check your balances. We're going to play Would You Rather. Would You Rather Finance Edition. We've got some of our own questions, and then we've got an article that has some funny ones uh, and some intriguing Would You Rather questions pulled up. And we thought that this would be an interesting framework for a discussion. We came up with a couple, I think, just as part of the concept. So let's start with the first one. This is like literally the first thing that came to mind for me when I thought of, would you rather? If you were in a cash pinch, you've got an expense coming up, you need money today. Dan, would you rather borrow money from a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, or a 401k loan if you needed funds? Where would you go? So as with almost every finance question, there's nuance, which I think is what makes it interesting. But if I had to answer, I am going HELOC for my cash crunch. I am as well. And this came to mind because I was playing golf actually on my birthday and got partnered with a uh, a random guy into our group. And he was talking about a 401k loan. And he was talking about it. And I, I'm not going to pry on the golf course, like unless somebody 
is asking for my advice, like specifically, and even then probably not going to go deep into it because it's just not the time and place. But that seemed to be where he was trying to access money. And the 401k loan, those terrify me. I think that it's a reasonable way to get access to capital if you really need it. But I've seen those go wrong quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, in favor of the 401k loan is they tend to be lower cost than maybe some alternatives. They're easily accessible. There's a program to pay them back until there's not, which is what worries me. So the repayment program is almost entirely contingent on you staying with your job. And the second that's not true anymore, you are facing a lot of risk because you either need to pay that loan back in its entirety or potentially be subject to taxes and a penalty on that disbursement amount, which you may not have the money for either if you had to take a 401k loan. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly right. So I don't know of many other types of debt where the lender can essentially, at an unexpected term, recall the debt, right? That's like dealing with a loan shark. Like there, There's no other situation that I can think of where you go, I'm going to borrow money on this repayment plan, and then all of a sudden they go, Dan, listen, I know, I know we had this deal worked out, but you're going to have to pay me today. I'm going to need all that money back immediately. Can you imagine taking out a car loan over five years and six months in, they're like, listen, I, I know that we gave you money for this car. You were thinking you'd pay it off over four or five, maybe six years. Who knows? But we're a little strapped. We're going to need that back today. Go ahead and head on over to the bank. And if you don't, penalties, taxes, you're screwed. Jail. <laughs> yeah, not jail, not jail, but j- definitely not a good situation if you have that immediate recall. So yeah, that 401k loan becomes taxable, penalized, or immediately due. That's a very scary situation. I think I think we're in agreement we would both go HELOC. Yeah. And the thing I like about the HELOC, I love flexibility. So again, you can pay interest payments if you need to. You can pay down principal when you're able to. You know, the risk there is you typically have a floating rate. Also, with the lack of scheduled repayment, potentially that debt stays outstanding longer than you hope it would. So you also need to know yourself. But again, HELOC, it's not even a question for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It's just the the discipline factor of the 401k kind of forcing you into that payment plan. They, they really don't give you the choice. They're going to take their money back. It's really your money back. They're going to give you your money back because you're really borrowing against yourself, which is the same thing on the HELOC, but you're borrowing that home equity. I love the idea of spending that home equity. Yeah, right. It's, it's sitting on your balance sheet, unproductive, unless you're willing to tap into it. Yeah. What else are you going to do with it? All right. We're in agreement there. All right, Dan, you came up with a good one for the next question. All right, Ross, this isn't necessarily a real life scenario, but would you rather have to keep 50% of your portfolio in short positions by shorting securities or have to keep 100% of your portfolio in CDs? So this is such a tough question, right? Because as really stock-focused investors and guys that love the stock market for all of its power and might and compounding, that's like all the things that CDs don't offer you, right? CDs are basically an inflation disaster in in so many ways. 
but we're in a really unique environment right now where CDs are offering pretty attractive rates. You're getting like 5% on a CD right now in most cases, depending on the term, depending on the bank. And shorting stocks is just unbelievably scary, right? I mean, it, it really is. So when you short a stock, you have unlimited downside. Like when you buy a stock, you have very limited downside. You can never lose more than 100% of what you put into a stock when you buy it. On a shorted stock, you have unlimited downside. I don't think that I could take on unlimited downside with 50% of my portfolio. I think I'm going 100% CDs in that scenario. Yeah, I think that's true too. Again, so a short when you short a stock or, or any security, you're taking the opposite position of owning it. So your upside is capped at 100%. The thing that you're betting against can only go to zero, right? And then it's done. But you have unlimited risk. I think I would also take the CDs and then you're really betting on your ability to save. So I'm my retirement is contingent on my ability to put money away, but I would rather take that bet than have to be right about betting against half the things in my portfolio. Yeah, I mean, even when you think about like a pairs trade or like a like a long short portfolio, you know, shorting a stock is even for people that are really good investors, it's so tough because you can be right about so many things. You can be right that management is a group of morons. You can be right that the balance sheet is in trouble. You can be right that you know, the business is headed in the wrong direction. I mean, look, look at the GameStop situation that happened during, you know, COVID, right? You had all of this short interest, basically betting on a business that is actively failing, that, that is like noticeably and actively failing, and then just get taken to the woodshed on it in terms of the losses. And there was a lot going on in that particular situation. But yeah, no, I, I don't think that I could do that. I would take the CDs. I'd rather be a sissy than absolutely lose my shirt. Yeah, I mean, there are famous activist investors who take short positions and then go on a crusade against the companies publicizing why he thinks they are terribly run, he or she, I should say, I'm just thinking of someone in particular, terribly run, sham businesses, you know, dangerous businesses, and even then with all the resources at their disposal, can't get public opinion to turn. And they lose tons of money too, despite being very public and very well informed about the companies they're shorting. Yeah. You could know a lot and then still get the the investor sentiment very wrong. All right. Let's go into the next one, Dan. I liked this question. I'm going to pose it to you. Would you rather invest in an ETF that could guarantee 8% returns a year or a rental property that could guarantee 10% returns a year, but you've got to manage it? I think I'm taking the lazy way out and taking the 8% return without me having to lift a finger with management. Although I spent a long time thinking about this because 2% compounded over a lifetime is a world of difference. So yeah, let, let's do the math real quick. I'm going to I'm gonna do the math just for fun. And I haven't done this before. Let's go 100 grand just for a nice friendly round number. Let's go 30 years at 8% with zero additional capital. So 8%, 30 years, 100 grand turns into $1 million. You're going to 10x that money over 30 years 
in your lazy, guaranteed ETF that doesn't exist, but a lot of people would love it. Similarly, you want to take a guess? Over 10 years, what that 2% delta equals? 10%, 30 years, what the difference is. Ooh. 1.7 million. That 2% haircut, that laziness that you're taking on, that's going to cost you $700,000 over 30 years. Now, the question is, what can you do with that time? Does that time free you up to either make more money or enjoy your life more? We can quantify it. That doesn't mean that that makes your answer any easier. But over a 30-year period, a 2% haircut is not immaterial. I think that's the same as the argument I make when people have these uh, price return S&P 500 products, right? Things like structured notes and things of that nature, right? Where you're going to get a guarantee. Index annuities do this a lot too. You get a guarantee of price return. You're going to get 100% of what the index does. And then you look at how they measure it and it's point to point. It is price return, not total return. People go, what's the dividend? I mean, right now it's probably like one, four, one, five. Who cares? I'm going to give up one and a half, yeah, sometimes it's one, seven, one, eight, one, nine. It feels like you're not giving that much up when you're giving up the dividend. When you compound that over many years, it's meaningful. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think with passive products like that, you need to think very carefully about whether you're willing to give that up. Uh, I think when I did the calculus on time over that period for that extra 2%, I thought I'd rather spend it not dealing with squeaky wheels in my rental properties. Yeah. Well, you you get more visibility into the real estate market than I do anyway, just have, having a wife that's a real estate agent and and seeing some of those transactions and what those homeowners are dealing with. I'm clearly in that camp as well. I don't think anybody had any questions. If you've been a even medium-term listener on which one I would take, I'm taking the ETF and the easy way out as well. But that's really interesting. I, I think that's interesting in terms of both of our psychology. But I also think that you and I prize that flexibility. We also prize our time. We're involved in a bunch of different stuff. There's stuff I'd rather do than manage real estate properties. And as I've said before, I don't think I could evict somebody. I just don't. I don't think I've got it in me. I don't think that's part of my nature. I'm too soft-hearted to throw somebody out of a home that is having a financial hardship. So I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking that easy way out. I think that's an acceptable weakness. That's, a, that's probably a good quality in you. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people would struggle with it, quite frankly. I mean, and and maybe if you, I don't know, maybe if you're in a situation where like the person's just been a complete deadbeat, and they've been a jerk to you, and then you're like, all right, fine, I'm, I'm happy to throw you out on your butt. But in, in my mind, it's a very compassionate situation. A person that needs the help is struggling. I don't have that one in me. All right, let's, let's turn the table to taxes for a moment. As I was thinking of would you rather... That was a good topic that came up in my mind. The question I came up with, Ross, was would you rather pay income taxes according to wherever Congress ends up moving tax rates and tax brackets and tax policy, or sign off on paying a flat 30% income tax, period, 30% forever, regardless of what happens with tax law over time? Can I ask like an annoying clarifying question here? Sure. Does that flat 30% income tax, are you including... FICA in that? That's a good clarifying question. I will say, I'll say yes. Well, we'll okay. let's call it 
employee portion of FICA, not like self-employment FICA, but your 7.65 or whatever it is, yep. is baked in and state taxes, just 30% off the top forever. It also means you don't get to game other loopholes in the tax code. That is your tax code. Yeah. I think I would take it if that included FICA. And that that I realized that felt like such a, a nitpicky clarification. It is. It was a very annoying question, Ross. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's where my brain went. Sure. It's an annoying clarification, but it's an important one because when you look at people's marginal rates, even many taxpayers that I look at, and we scan a lot of tax returns because we do that as part of our practice. We look at tax returns in many cases. And even people that are in the 32% bracket, their marginal rate tends to be... Or, or their effective rate. Their effective rate, excuse me, thank you. Yeah, their effective tax rate tends to be between like 15 and 22, right? So people think that they're paying 32%. And yeah, on the next dollar, on your next short-term capital gain, on every additional dollar you earn, yes, you're paying 32%. And so in this case, I'm saying... Yeah, I'm willing to pay almost that, but the effective rate is normally in the mid-teens to low 20s because all of that early income is being taxed at low rates. We have a progressive system. It is the next dollar above the tax bracket that gets moved into that higher rate. So to say 30%, in my mind, I was going, oh, that's going to be a lot more in taxes than what I think most people are paying today. I think that's going to be more than my effective rate today. But when you add that FICA in, it, it's, it's basically covering it. I think that's basically where we are. So with that stipulation, you're basically letting me say, I'm going to pretty much lock my tax rate today at what are pretty historically low tax rate levels. I think we're all paying about an effective 30% to the feds. I'm going to take it. I'm taking that flat rate. I think I might ride with it. I think I like the loopholes in the games that we can play in the tax code and being more strategic. So in lieu of the 30%, I'm willing to gamble and uh, just see where where the chips fall over time. I think that's where I stood. The FICA thing does throw a little bit of a wrench in, in the plans because that is, you know, almost 8% right there. Um, but I, th I think I'll stick with my answer. I mean, here's here's what I see happening anyway. Raising the rate is seen as so unpopular that we're just getting killed on everything else, right? Like we're willing to accept a lower rate for assault cap, the state and local tax deduction capped at 10 grand. And yeah, you can do the math on an individual level. For most consumers that are just hearing that their tax rate was lowered, I don't think they factor that in. I don't think it's easy for our brains to factor in, well, what's that cap really costing me when I factor in what what have I paid in state taxes? What have I paid in property taxes? What have I, you know, like, what is that losing that deduction or capping that deduction? What does that really hurt me? I think that's much more nebulous for people to think about. And so I, I just think the tax code is going to continue to get more and more complicated because the one thing people are fixated on is, well, what's that marginal rate? And we're just being nickel and dime to death everywhere else. And uh, I think that's going to be the path on, under that. I'm, I'm sticking with my answer. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what happens in a couple of years when that Tax Cut and Jobs Act expires and what Congress decides to do about it. 
because I think they're going to have to do something. I think the default is probably not acceptable to a majority of them. It'll certainly be unpopular. Certainly unpopular. So the question is, what are they willing to do at that point? All right. Let's move in to some rapid fire questions. So we pulled up an article. This is a BuzzFeed article. Uh, This is from Megan Liscombe, who is the personal finance editor at BuzzFeed. She had a bunch of these. Let's just go through them pretty quick. Dan, would you rather pay in pennies for everything for the rest of your life, or you have to give a dollar a week to a politician you disagree with? Dollar a week to a politician I disagree with. Yeah. It's 52 bucks a year. Who cares? Pennies for everything? Are you kidding me? I would need a larger like vehicle just to carry pennies around. That one's nonsense. You need to show up at your mortgage servicer with like a Garda truck. No, that's crazy. All right. Number two. Would you rather end student loan debt forever or end credit card debt forever? I'm ending student student loan debt forever. I would do the same. And you know what, though? When I read that, it's like, all right, end the debt or end the access to that capital. Like, if you can't borrow for that thing, do you just not send people to school? Like, what, what does that do? Or are we just white wiping the debt away? I, I got too far into it in my head. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think in my mind, we were wiping the debt away, or maybe you're just making school free. Either way, I'm happy with that one. I would love to take credit card debt away, but given the choice, student loans it is. Dan's keeping his points. Let's go. Let's get some travel points. All right, Ross, would you rather win the lottery but lose all your friends or lose all your money but find your soulmate? Ooh, I'm I'm giving away the money. I'd rather be broke and happy. Uh, You know what? I'm, I'm convinced I don't know what this says about me. After a career of seeing people pretty much all along the financial spectrum, I'm convinced money doesn't make anybody happier. I do think it makes life easier and it makes some of the challenges easier. I don't think the money makes anybody happy. Give it away. I want the soulmate. Pre-show in our our morning meeting, we were talking about this theme in relation to a point that Morgan Housel made, which is great. And I brought up the book, The Rainbow Fish, and I got blank stares back at me from Ross and Matt, who had no idea what the Rainbow Fish was. Never heard of it. I, it. It's a children's book? It's a delightful children's book about a beautiful rainbow fish with like glittery scales. And it's the most beautiful fish in all the ocean. But all the other fishes are like jealous of him and, and he won't share his scales with them. Although I don't know how a fish shares scales. Anyway, so he had no friends. This octopus tells him, listen, go share your scales with them. And you'll be happy. So he starts giving all his scales away to the other fish. Now they're friends. Even though he's no longer the most beautiful fish, he's happy because he has people around him. All right. So despite the fact that my answer just coincided with that exact idea, when you explained that book to me, my immediate reaction was, Dan, what socialist nonsense are you reading your daughter? Goodness. Holy cow. What is this? I feel like most children's books have socialist agendas somewhere in there. All right. What was the next one? Okay. Dan, would you rather have a job you hate with a really high salary or a job you love with a below average salary? That that feels similar. Yeah. I I would take the job I love with a below average salary. Yeah. I'll marry into money. This one I thought was way too easy. Would you rather spend a million dollars on travel or a million dollars on clothes? I'm going travel 10 times out of 10. I want to talk to somebody that would spend a million dollars on clothes rather than a million dollars on travel. I don't think I could even do it. I would literally have t-shirts packed floor to ceiling in my house. I I cannot (laughs) find an item that I would spend a million dollars on. I love that show, The Bear. 
uh, that's a uh, they just came out with season two. Yeah. It was wonderful. I really love that show. That T-shirt is like a $95 T-shirt they found for the lead. He wears this like white T-shirt and the entire thing. Apparently, they went through just like dozens of them looking for the right look and the right fit for him. It's a $95 T-shirt, which I find absurd. I hear that number and I'm like, oh, who, who could do this? Even wearing stuff like that, I don't think I could spend a million dollars. You'd have to buy just the most ridiculous stuff. Can't even imagine. All right. This is my favorite question by far so far. Would you rather make $100,000 investing in Bitcoin or make $50,000 investing in a business that helps the environment? You know what, Dan? We've talked about this before. It's been a while. I'm taking the hundred grand investing in Bitcoin and I can use the profits for what other whatever philanthropic endeavors excite me. Because $50,000 that you make investing in a business that helps the environment, that sounds great. And if it's sustainable and it's great for the environment, cool. I'm, I'm for that. I'd rather make the money and be charitable with whatever profits I see fit. I'm taking the, I'm taking the 100K in Bitcoin. Yeah, me too. No brainer. No brainer for me, at least. I don't know what that says about me. but Ooh, Dan, we've got a time value of money question. Would you rather get a million dollars right now or a hundred thousand dollars for 10 years? This one actually has a right and a wrong answer. It really does. I mean, I want the million dollars right now. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you answer a hundred grand a year for 10 years, the only acceptable reason, the only acceptable reason for that to be the right answer is if you have zero control over your spending and you are gonna rip through a million dollars. Maybe spending it on clothes. Who knows? Whatever, whatever you're going to do with it. But the value of that dollar to you, way higher if you take it today. Million bucks today, over a hundred grand over ten years. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we have a couple questions that are similar to the other ones. Do we want to rock them anyway? No, let's let's find one good one to end on. All right. Yeah, some of the, yeah some of these have gotten repetitive. My my apologies to the author. We're not trying to rag on her BuzzFeed article that we're using for our entire show. All right, Dan, let's end on this one. Number 12, would you rather go back in time and fix your biggest money mistake or look into the future and find out where you end up? Ooh, it's a good question. I'm going to answer that I would go back in time and fix my biggest money mistake, but for no reason other than... To me, there's no value in looking into the future to see where I end up. So I may as well fix a, a past mistake. I'd rather, I don't want to go and back to the future situation, my future and, and ruin things. So I'll just let that ride out the way it should and we'll correct something in the past, which is also a back to the future mistake, actually. So this is a real catch 22 for me. I would also take that answer. I would go back and fix a mistake, maybe a couple of them. Yeah, the, the question of do you want to see where you end up in the future is such an interesting thing, right? Because if you look and it's like bad, are you allowed to correct it? Because that'd be the worst. If it's like a bad outcome and then you can't change anything, that's where you're headed no matter what you do. That sucks. Right. It just says look and see. It's like, right. oh, that's it. That well, doesn't mean you can change it. Like, it, yeah, if that's your destiny, no, I'd rather I'd rather find my way there like like a blind squirrel looking for a nut on my own. Like that that is not something I want to see especially if I don't have the power to change it. Absolutely not. I'm going to go fix a mistake. So as far as non-socialist children's books go, I'm going to throw this recommendation out there to people with kids, but you can get Back to the Future as a children's book and it is one of my daughter's favorites. So go look that up on Amazon. Very good. 
Well, we're going to turn this around quick. By the time you hear this, uh, the paint will have barely dried on this episode. But we appreciate everybody tuning in. We hope you had some fun with this topic. Was there anything you disagreed with? We'd love to hear from you. Check your balances at Outlook.com is the email address for our show. We will catch you all next week.